So in just a moment, I'm going to ask my dear friend Beth to come up and share with us this morning. Um, But one of our lectionary passages, uh, a psalm to me, provides a wonderful exercise for us this morning. I, um, it, when I walk into staff meeting every once in a while, I, I go in with this. Does anybody know what this is? So this is a wheel of emotions. And um, some of you are probably very good at knowing what's going on intuitively. I'm not one of those people. I kind of need a cheat sheet. Um, and so on this, it, it's actually I'll tell my staff, just pick two. Where are you? You know, And every once in a while, somebody picks like cheeky which is kind of a cheeky answer, but, um, or pensive. Um, but on this, I find it very helpful to take a look and see what's going on internally within me. Uh, oftentimes, when we don't, it, those emotions just sort of have us. We live in this place of reaction. But when we look internally, what we find is our emotions pull us into this deeper place of reflection. And what I see in the Psalms so often as David uh, gives us these beautiful prayers of worship, is him doing his own internal work. David is not only speaking to God, sometimes he speaks to those around him, but often he speaks to his soul. He looks inward at his own heart. And I think if we're honest, when we hear the way that we speak to ourselves, oftentimes it can be with a little bit of judgment, maybe some condescension there. We're not always the kindest to ourselves But when David speaks to his soul, he speaks gently. And I want to read these words, and as we do, for you to take some time and look inward. How am I in my soul? David is going to pray for rest in his soul. And part of that is the reassurance of who God is, the strength of God, the foundation of God. And as he moves from that inward conversation, he begins talking to those around him drawing us all into the conversation. And then finally at the end, with his focus outward, he's going to give his praise and his prayers to God. This is Psalm 62, verses 5 through 12. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Common people are only a vapor, important people an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. Amen. The word of the Lord. So, this is a little, I'm going to do something a little different here. Probably will make most of you feel uncomfortable. And um, that's okay, because I want you to feel, feel it. I want you to feel whatever you feel. Thank you for that feeling chart. Um, 
So I have a big book here, and um, it's a beautiful book. It's not a phone, and it doesn't have a screen or an app attachment. It's actually a real book, and um, it's just filled with wonderful pictures. It's called an illuminated manuscript, and it has markings and beautiful artwork, and um, I love it dearly. And I'm going to read from it today. I've asked um, them not to project the gospel reading today, so that's going to be something different. And um, I'd also like to have you listen to this kind of phrase thing that I've been saying to myself all week as I've been preparing. And it it really is just simple. These are the words. And, And there's a little bit of a movement to it, so you can kind of feel your way through it. It's these words. Draw near, draw in, draw out. I'll be repeating some of those things during the sermon. Draw near, draw in, and draw out. So I'm going to come down from this high, lofty place called a stage. And I'm going to move in near to you. Right into the midst of you. In fact, I can see some of your faces and you can see me. Now, some of you will feel very uncomfortable because you like the distance. We've gotten used to social distancing. Others of you will say, oh, this is kind of different, but I'm not sure we don't do that here. And in fact, we don't do a lot of things here. And so what's up with that? And then also, I'm going to ask you to make whatever adjustment that you need Um, Not to look at your phone, so turn away from your phone and look up and give the consideration to me just for a moment, just making a slight adjustment to actually follow the voice of the word spoken through my humanly voice. And for some of you, you'll have to turn your head a little bit. Others of you, you might have to move in between others just to see and follow the voice. And of course, those on the front row will have to make the major adjustments to actually turn and go in a different direction. So here is the word of God coming to us in story form. form. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of um, Simon, casting nets into the sea because they were fishermen And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. 
Now, if you have heard the story of Jesus before and someone shared it with you as well that, as, well as shared um, their life with you and shared your life with you, I want you to think about that person now and just give thanks for the storytellers, for the people who have drawn near to you and the, the people who have made a difference in your life and the people who have been there for you. For this is a little bit of how life goes. We may, have hear, we may hear uh, the teaching of Jesus in big platforms or on podcasts, but it's really a little bit like our narrative today. One person sharing the story with another. You see, Mark, whose gospel we read, wasn't necessarily an eyewitness to Jesus. In fact, he was probably a teenager when he uh, first... Uh, when Jesus was first ministering on earth. And um, he may have heard him, but he wasn't following him necessarily at that time, historians think. And that this account, this story he's telling in Mark's gospel is actually Peter's story. Because Peter was nearer to Jesus. And it was... Uh, Jesus drawing near to Simon, who we read in the gospel today, met Jesus on the way. And Jesus saw him and called him by name into a kind of life. And so Mark was probably um, Simon's friend. And Simon Peter told Mark about Jesus. And Jesus was made real to Mark through Simon. And Mark followed Jesus. And this is a little bit how it goes. We tell stories to each other. We draw near to each other. We draw in to each other's lives. We share our lives together, as well as the story of Christ, out of which that story draws faith. And we're compelled by love to follow and find Jesus finding us. But there's a little bit of a backstage to this story I told you. It's the first part of Mark's gospel, and it's really important because it kind of feels like the texture of this inward language, this interiority from the psalm that uh, Jeff read to us, and then this very public declaration where Jesus is on the the, uh, ground and um, saying, repent, believe in the gospel, the kingdom has come near. And there's this background uh, about Jesus that we find in the first part of the gospel, And it goes like this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I'm sending my messenger, a voice, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And we know that to be John from the other gospels, and he's named in, in this gospel too. And John, following that call, And that prophetic ministry came baptizing in the wilderness, 
proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus of Nazareth, so he's not just the son of God, he has a hometown, he's a local boy. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And this is somewhat of an intimate view, a glimpse. We don't know who was there or who heard this, but Jesus was. And as soon as Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens being opened and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice, a very intimate voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And immediately, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And there he was in the wilderness 40 days, in that very silent, solitude place. But he wasn't alone. He was tempted by Satan. He had wild animals. And he was ministered to by angels. And it's out of that story narrative, out of that backstage, out of that hidden place that Jesus comes onto the scene front and center with a pronunciation of repent and believe. The reason why I spend a little bit of time on the prelude is because it identifies a few things of the rhythm of life for us and the way of life for us and how it will go. First of all, there's a matter that is discernment, uh, needing discernment, and it's God's timing. Secondly, it was about Jesus, who was the Son of God and also born in Nazareth. So there's this beautiful blend that we see in Jesus of divinity and humanity and power and humility. And God comes down and lives locally with us, and that's something of what we'll need to learn how to live with divinity in these lowly places that we inhabit. And then thirdly, there's a whole bunch of detail about the Holy Spirit, the essential, active agent animating the movement and the message of Jesus. Jesus wasn't on his own, nor was he speaking without the agency of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, there was the Father's voice, a very intimate voice, affirming and assuring Jesus right then and there that his identity and belovedness was grounded in the Father. And all of this was way before he ever said a word in public, as far as the story goes. Jesus grounded in the identity and the belovedness of the Father. Animated by the life of the Spirit. Involved in prayer. And that interiority and the immediacy of those wilderness days. Learning and living God's timing, not his own. And that texture of immediacy and Uh, interiority is woven all the way through Jesus's life and public ministries. 
as he moves out into the streets of his own hometown and towns further on, we might say we've seen a glimpse of Jesus' own soul work, something of what we heard with the psalmist. This animating voice, this inner dialogue, this soul that wrestles with some things, conflict, opposition, forces, and yet this stableness of grounding oneself in the rock of our salvation. And that movement is not different than Jesus's. It's what he's showing us. That's how it is. That's how it goes. There's a larger and truer reality of God's life always and already present. And Jesus is finding himself grounded in it and participating with it. So let's look for a moment at the passage. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So what's the news of the good news of God? It's an unusual phrase um, used here, and what it's what it's really saying is there's something new in the good news of God, because the good news of God has been a continuous string, a luminous line following Eden forward, and albeit singed and fringed, nevertheless. It's been the overarching narrative that God will redeem and recover humanity, restoring it to its beauty and intended purposes as he created in and before um, the garden. So then, what is new? Abraham, Moses, the stars in heaven, David and Isaiah, so many have told the same story, God with us. I think Dallas says it best. Dallas Willard said the summary of the whole biblical tradition from beginning to end is one of the intimate involvement of God in human life. So what's new then? What message is Jesus bringing? Well, namely, that the time is fulfilled. Everything that was promised has now come. And the long-awaited promise of God is now here in him. And that redemption that was promised has a name. And that name is Jesus. And when Jesus stepped onto the stage, he was the new thing. God's kingdom in heaven had come near So what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's something like the sphere or the domain where God is present, active, alive, superintending life, and is intimately engaged with the people he created. Again, I rely on Dallas Willard, who said it best. It's like heaven invading human space. Now the eternal realm of God's action and activity is here with us. The kingdom of God is not some vague thing there far away. It's near. It's now. It's not somewhere in the future. It's always and already present right 
where we stand, where we live, in our hearts, in our world. It's come near into our midst. The kingdom of God is absolutely different than the kingdom of humanity. It's not always about eating and drinking, although it does have some sort of materiality to it. But it can't be reduced to eating and drinking. Rather, it's of the spirit and righteousness, peace and joy. The kingdom of God often takes people by surprise because it's unexpected. It grows in nuanced ways from a seed buried that blossoms into a tree. Sometimes it goes unnoticed. Sometimes it's easily overlooked. It works in secret and hiddenness most of the time. Sometimes it can only be realized in smallness because it's there where the wild joy breaks into the heart. Sometimes it can only be found in the low and the sorrowful places, the places of deep pain, because that's what God is attracted to, people who compassionately need his presence. All the while, the kingdom of God is birthing and birthing and birthing new life, always and already It's always paradoxical. It will not be. It will not be the ways that we esteem, like power and wealth or position. These things are like a vapor, and that's what our psalmist said in our psalm. Don't set your heart on those things. That's not about the kingdom. If they come, if they go, they're vapor. So what's the difference between the kingdom of man, the kingdom of woman, and the kingdom of God? I like what the poet Rosemary Witola Troma suggests, that we see this kingdom of God in nuanced ways. It's the difference between breathing and being breathed between asking for grace and finding that grace has been asking for us. It's the difference between breathing and being breathed. Meister Eckhart said we should consciously look out for God in all things. This demands much effort and must cost us all that our senses and our faculties are capable of. By, but this is the right thing to do so that we grasp God in the same way in all things and find God everywhere. So it will cost us something and a little bit of effort. But are we making those necessary adjustments to look out for God? For the kingdom of God has drawn near. It's here among us, with us. Well, Jesus came with a message that kind of makes me quiver a little bit, and I had to reconsider and and adjust my thinking on some of these very Christian words that have been used and overused um, over and over again. And here are his words. Repent and believe the good news. 
So repentance when Jesus came on the scene wasn't necessarily a new message. John had been preaching a message of repentance, the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus broadens it a bit here in significance. And this little Greek word for repent is metanoia. You might have heard it before, but it really is important because it means to change the mind or, or adjust your thinking or rethink your thinking. Metanoia is a kind of inward word with implications of the outward life, not the other way around. The ways I've often heard it is change what you're doing to follow Jesus. But metanoia is more rethink your life. Consider your life. Consider the way you're living it and change your mind. Jesus invites people to repent and what he's doing is asking them, consider your life in the way that you're living it in the light of this new event that God has come near to you that the kingdom of God has arrived in me. So consider all life and make adjustments, make um, adjustments in the light of God's intention for human flourishing. Consider it. Consider how you're li- living. The kingdom of God has, has come. Change your mind. Consider, adjust, and follow life. Scott Caron, um, the poet, describes metanoia in this way in his poem, Adventures in the New Greek Testament, the New Testament Greek. The heart's metanoia, on the other hand, turns without regret, turns not so much away as toward, as if the slow pilgrim has been surprised to find that sin is not so bad as it is a waste of time. And I think metanoia is captured a little bit in the psalmist's reading today, considering the things of life, wealth and power and prestige, the conflicts about all of our lives, facing our lives and what threatens us, and yet this inner dialogue he's having in prayer and in his own soul, but God is my salvation. That's metanoia. But God is my salvation. I will trust in him at all times. I think repentance, repent, this word metanoia is not a one-time thing. We've heard it as that. And we use it and heavy um, heavy load the concept of conversion. But I think it's really an I-N-G kind of word. We go on repenting incrementally, making adjustments as we're following Jesus to move deeper in to the life God has right in front of us. It's an ongoing consideration to reconsider and reconsider and reconsider in the light of the kingdom that has arrived. And just one little word on the word believe that Jesus says, repent and believe. This word is closer in meaning to the word trust, like we heard in our psalm today, trust in God at all times, pour out your heart to him. 
Rather than a belief like dogmas or doctrine, it has more of a relational dynamic. Trust, trust. It's not a type of mental ascent like something far away, a piece of information, but it's nearer than that. It invites someone who's willing to trust into a trusting loved one and relationship in reliance on that loved one. The psalmist says, rest yourself completely on God. Rest. It reminds me of when God breaks through in Deuteronomy and in the middle of of Moses' sermon, God says, see, I've set before you good, goodness and life. There's always a choice. Sin is always knocking at the door. Evil and death will always threaten you. But choose life. And I will give you shalom. With your whole heart and your whole being, love and trust and follow me. And I will give you shalom. So I think Jesus is really saying to us here, The kingdom has come near, it's present, it's around you, always and already. So how do you want to live your life? Consider these things. What does it mean to be alive? To notice and look out for the divine action and activity and respond to it and then participate with whatever God is up to in life, in your own and in the world. How do you want to live your life? Well, the rest of the gospel is beautiful. It, it, it portrays Jesus moving out into the streets. Wherever he walked, he saw people. He met them at the seashore in the city streets. He is familiar with where people live, and he goes into their homes, making his home with them. I think... When I imagine Jesus walking the streets of his hometown, that he might have seen them as sacred and holy. And he sees people and calls them by name and invites them in and says, follow me. The author David Brooks in his, in his book, How to Know a Person, which is just a really good book, so accessible. He said, recognition is the first human quest as he quotes Andy Crouch in his book, The Life We're Looking For, babies come out of the womb looking for a face that will see them, a mother or a caregiver who will know them and attend to their needs. If a baby goes unseen by their caregivers for long periods of time, it can leave lasting and emotional and spiritual damage. This is the first education. Every child, even from birth and into adulthood, is looking for the same answers to the basic questions of life. Am I safe? How does love work? Am I worthy? Will I be cared for? Even in infancy, we internalize these answers to those questions based on what we see around and how we are treated. And we all have histories 
of varying degrees of that kind of experience. Well, Brooks goes on to talk about the art of seeing people, and he develops some things to help us become more attuned to true listening and empathy. He sums up uh, life with people this way. There are diminishers and illuminators. Diminishers are those kind of people who use people. They don't befriend them. They ignore and stereotype people, often making them feel small or unseen. Those diminishers are literally disengaged. But on the other hand, illuminers are those people who are persistently curious about others. They shine the brightness of their care on people and make them feel bigger and deeper, respected and lit up. Illuminators are skilled in helping people see their own sacredness and dignity and significance which is so hard to often see in ourselves. And I wondered in myself, what made Jesus so attractive on those shores of Galilee? Why did people just drop everything to follow him? And I think Jesus was an illuminator. He saw them. He knew their history. He lived with them. He became acquainted with their ways he invited them into a bigger story than their own history. He drew near to them and drew them into God's story and drew out of them their best selves. I'd like to introduce you to another illuminator. His name is Jason Leith. He's a local artist here in the Southern California area, and he uh, created an exhibition about 10 years ago called Sacred Streets. And he features in this exhibition 12 portraits of individuals who were living on the streets of Skid Row. And out of relationship, the artist drew and etched their faces on reclaimed and found objects with saint-like symbolism. He says, I begin on street level, walking past tents and trash heaps and soup lines on Skid Row, drawing materials in hand, and I want to know the individuals from this community on a personal level, and the best way I know how to connect is to make portraits, to draw a person in person is for me the means of being present and attentive. I make the portraits on these reclaimed objects from the very streets where I meet people, and in the end, I'm reimagining the world and the people I meet in terms of a deep, and pervasive sacredness. So Jason, there's Jason drawing uh, right there on the streets of Skid Row, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the people he drew. The first one is Roberta. Oh, yep, Roberta. There he is talking to Roberta, and Roberta is a lively thing. 
she actually came out of prostitution and um, at the time Jason met her, she was married and living in the, um, on the streets and um, waiting to, to get a home with her husband. And she sensed that um, God, in three persons, delivered her out of prostitution. Now, she was still struggling with some addiction, but she was hopeful that God was protecting her and would deliver her. And Jason drew her. And there she is. She's kind of wild, I think, because she knew the spirit and the three persons of God. He might have put something of the wind and the whirl of God above her. And there she is. Is she not beautiful? And the next one is John. John was a young man. He loved to read. He carried books with him. And he said one day he would like to be a, a, a chef, but he wasn't sure that he could actually do that. And as they connected, other people encouraged John. And a year later, after his portrait was um, done, and there he is holding his book, John went home. And then I want you to meet James. Now, James is an interesting character. He wore this bowler all the time. And Jason says that every time I would sit and talk with him, people would just be coming up to him constantly, asking him advice, asking him questions, asking him about life, wanting his advice. And as he was drawing him, he said to Jason, you know, you can tell it all in the eyes. And then he paused. What do you see in my eyes? And Jason stopped and looked deeply into his dark eyes and replied, I see wisdom. I see an age of stories and life experiences and a determination for a goal ahead of you. I see a leader. And he painted, uh, he painted him with the uh, attaching... Uh, gold candlesticks, that light of wisdom symbolized there. And the last one I'll introduce you to is Don Robin. Don Robin was orphaned at a young age by her parents and have lived in the, on the streets for most of her life, moving in and out of shelters. By the time um, the exhibit went up a little bit later, she had actually found a home to live in. She was addicted uh, to drugs and substance, other substances, but she identified um, her life with the parallels of Mary Magdalene. She knew the story of Christ and Mary, and she had hope, and she found repentance of her past, but her desire was to live pouring out her life for Jesus. These were sacred streets and sacred meetings. It's a little bit like what Mary Oliver says in her poem, right where I stand. Sometimes all I need is to stand where I am to be blessed. Sometimes all we need is to stand right where we are to be blessed. The kingdom has come. Draw near. Sometimes I just need to stand right where I am 
to be blessed. Let the kingdom and its story draw you in and draw out of you your best self. The streets where you roam are sacred. Can you see it? Are you looking? Right here, even standing on what seems to be the precipice of mishaps and mistakes, God draws near and draws us in and draws us out into a big, beautiful life. So let me ask you again, how is it that you want to live What are you turning away from? What will you turn toward? It could be the difference between breathing and being breathed.